Well, good morning. I'll tell you what, uh, yeah, I'll tell you what, um, last night I had no idea that was going to happen. Uh, I actually finished my, uh, my program in uh, December, it's been seven years, it's a seven-year program, and uh, I finished my program in, uh, in December, and, uh, but they had kind of been slow to get the final word to me that uh, I was, you know, all official and everything, and so this week I got an email from the school saying, Hey, it's all official now. Your transcripts will show this. If anyone asks, start using the title or whatever. And so I just sent it to the senior pastors and said, hey, good news, got the final word. And uh, this is what happened as a result of, of that. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so anyway, uh, I just want to welcome you, especially if you're new. My name is Dr. Yearly. Uh, <laughs> uh, are you kidding me? Like, uh, my name is Mike. That'll work fine. Uh, and uh, welcome here. I'm one of the pastors here at Rocky Peak. I want to welcome you if you're here for the very first time. And uh, we're going to be going into our time of teaching right now. And so, um, hey, and I want to give you uh, just a heads up on one thing uh, before I, about next week. You know, uh, the last couple uh, years we've been trying to even out our, our weekend services at Easter. And, uh, and so last year, I asked you, hey, would you be willing just to open up your seat to someone who doesn't know Christ or maybe just coming to church? I said, would you be willing to go to the Saturday night service? And we asked the 9 o'clock that. We asked the 11. And you all were so amazing. You all came. And we like packed out. We had too many people Saturday night. And then we had like not enough people here Sunday morning for the new people to like to mingle. So they were dead. You know, they're like. <laughs> to Easter, I'm so excited. I don't know Jesus yet, so I'm not sure what you're excited about. And uh, so this year we're trying something new. And so next week when you come, uh, what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to move 200 people from each of our 9 o'clock and our 11 o'clock service. And what we're going to do is if you'd be willing to serve in that way, that when you go out next week, and we'll actually have ushers at the door with 200 tickets from this service, and the first 200 people are willing to serve, we'll grab those. And then if you get there and it's not taken, and you, no more tickets, and you're good. You're good. Just come to 11. You're, you're good. But uh, if you're there, and so you could be thinking about that uh, this week. All right? Uh, well, I'm ready to go. You all ready to go? Yeah. Okay. Let's, uh, let's jump in. Father, we're excited to be here. We're excited what you're doing in our lives and our church. And you're teaching us about unleashing a movement of passionate Christ followers uh, who are pursuing you and loving people and serving sacrificially and sharing the message of Jesus. And so as we come today, the next step in our journey, we pray you'd meet us, be with me, be with all of us, uh, be with me as I speak, give me freedom. I pray for uh, those of us here, give us uh, kind of eyes to see, ears to hear what you want to say today. We pray this in your name. Amen. Our story starts today on a spring evening. It's, uh, it's getting late. They've, uh, they've been together all night long. They've had dinner. Um, and then he's been preparing them for what's happening, what's about to come. And he shared with them his heart, some of the things they need to know. But now there's no, no more time to delay. It's time to go. And so they, they leave this room. It's late at night. They're walking through the city streets of Jerusalem. It's, it's dark. It's late. So there's not a lot of people out, but there's more people out than normal because it's, it's Passover, and there's tens of thousands of people who cram into the city for the celebration, these pilgrims. And so they're going through the city and what, uh, uh, down one, up, one street, up another. They're heading now for the eastern gate, the huge walls. And, and they pass through the eastern gate. They go down, not too far, down, down the dusty road. 
down to the Kidron Valley, which is right below the city. And, and they cross over this little stream that runs only this time of year because it's the spring. The rains have been running. They cross over that stream. They start heading up the western side of the slope of the Mount of Olives. At some point, Jesus veers off, and they head towards a, a grove of olive trees where they'd often met before. Sometimes they probably spent the night there. But this time, they were going not to spend the night. This time, they were going to pray. And, and he needed to prepare for what was about to come. And so he went, he left off, went off by himself, and began to pray. And not sure how long it was, an hour or two, we're not really sure. But in the end, they heard, heard them coming. It's a sound they'll never forget. It was a cool night, air, temperature about like our nights these days. Everyone's asleep except for them. And in the distance, they heard the faint sound of the crowd coming towards them. And I'll never forget what it sounded like, where they were standing, what they were thinking. And sure enough, as they looked off in that direction, as the sound was wafting through the cool night air, they could see the reflection of the torches in the distance coming ominously closer. When the group arrived, it was led by one of the men they'd spent the last three years with. They'd, they'd ate together, they'd ministered together, they'd healed the sick together. But somehow he had turned. And he'd come not just by himself, he'd brought with him some of the top Roman uh, Jewish officials. And on top of that, he brought a detachment of Roman soldiers. You see, it's Passover time. It's their July 4th. It's, it's a time of the year when they celebrate when God liberated them from the Egyptians so long ago supernaturally. It's a time every year when they pray that God would supernaturally send a deliverer again. And so the Roman guard is on high alert, double the forces normal, because it's Passover week. And they don't know what to expect, and so they're coming, they're preparing for a rumble. But there is no rumble. There will be no fight. In the darkness, he walks out confidently to meet them. They don't recognize him at first under the cover of darkness. And so he speaks and introduces himself, announces his presence. They're scared to death. They fall back. Some even fall to the ground. It's not every day that you go to arrest a man capable of the supernatural. But once they figure out that he no, means them no harm, the arrest is is performed. He's handcuffed or tied, taken away, and the night begins. The first stop as they get back into the city is the house of a very powerful man, one of the most powerful men in all of Israel. His name is Annas. He was once the high priest. He was deposed by the Romans, but he still was the power in many ways behind the priesthood. Five of his sons had served in succession as the next high priest, the man who is currently the high priest, was a man by the name of Caiaphas, who was his son-in-law. And so they took him to Annas, and apparently, as you read in between the lines, what seems to be happening is they're looking for charges that will stick. They're developing a legal strategy. This whole night is a sham. They've decided long ago he's going to die. His own son-in-law, Caiaphas, has said just a few months before, after the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead, that this man had to die, that Jesus had to die. So, so the cards are are stacked, the, del, the, you know, the, the deal is done. And, but they need to find pretense. They need to find charges that will stick. And so they take him to Annas, but he refuses to cooperate with Annas. And so Annas, in frustration, sends him off again in the middle of the night. 
to his son-in-law, Caiaphas, who convenes the Jewish high court, the Sanhedrin. And they're in the middle of the night. It doesn't take them long to come up with a charge. The charge is blasphemy because he claimed to be the Messiah, the Son of God. It carries with it a capital punishment sentence. The only problem is, is that at this time, the Jews didn't have, in most cases, the right of capital punishment. The only one in the whole province that had that was the Roman governor. And so at 6 o'clock in the morning, they pack him up, they lead him out, they lead him toward the governor who was staying, who was in town on a visit. The charge that they're going to charge him with has to be a Roman charge, not a Jewish charge. So the charge that they will bring is a charge of treason, insurrection, sedition, that he is leading a rebellion against Caesar, which would carry the capital, capital punishment sentence. And so at 6 o'clock in the morning, they lead him off to the only man in the whole province who has the judicial right over life and death. Today we're continuing the series that we've been in since last June. And for those of you who are new, I always like to step back for just a minute and bring you up to speed. It's a series uh, called uh, Revealed. And it's a study of the life and teaching of Jesus as seen through the eyes of one of his closest followers and friends, a man by the name of John, who later wrote an account of his experience with Jesus called the Gospel of John. We're actually in the fourth, we're starting today, the fourth and final mini-series in this overall series. If you see on your note sheet, it's called The Glory and the Shame. It will cover chapter 18 through chapter 21. It starts with the arrest of Jesus, takes us through his, uh, his sentencing, his, uh, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and then about a month and a half of post-resurrection appearances. And so today we come to chapter 18. And if you were to read the first half of chapter 18, this would be the story we started the day with. I left out a couple of events. Um, Peter, when Jesus was arrested, Peter actually uh, decided to go Braveheart. Uh, he pulls out a short, short sword and he, he aims for the head of the guy that's closest to him. Misses his head, means to cleave it down the middle. But uh, misses his head, catches his right ear, Jesus, in the confusion and darkness, just reaches up, touches its heel. I don't even know how many people saw it. Um, later in the night, Peter would actually deny him three times. But the main course of the first half of John 18 is his arrest, taken into custody, the initial interrogation, the charges. Now at 6 o'clock in the morning, he's being led to the Roman governor. That's where we're going to pick up the story. And it's in chapter 18, in verse, I think it's 48. Let's see. Uh, no, how about 28? So in 28, it says the Jews, must be the Jewish leaders, they led Jesus from Caiaphas. Caiaphas, of course, remember, is the high priest, most powerful man in Israel. And uh, they lead him from the high priest and from the Sanhedrin that had met, the Jewish high court. And they lead him to the palace of the Roman governor. Now notice, it says the palace, but it may not have been the palace. The word in Greek is the word praetorium. And the way it works is wherever the Roman governor spends the night, that becomes the praetorium. So it may have been the old palace that was there in Jerusalem of Herod the Great. It may have been there, but it may have been at the military fortress Antonio that was right next to the part of the temple complex. But anyway, by now it's early morning. So let's, let's set the stage. It's 6 o'clock in the morning. It's Passover week. This is very important. Passover week, as I mentioned, is their 4th of July. It's a, it's a time when 
Tens of thousands, some historians say hundreds of thousands would cram into Jerusalem. Very patriotic time. It's a lot of flag waving type of thing. Uh, these times would make the Romans incredibly nervous because this is the time, if there's going to be a revolt, if there's going to be a riot, this is the time it's going to happen. So during times of like Passover, they would double their forces, their Roman forces in, in uh, Jerusalem. And the Roman governor, who normally doesn't live in Jerusalem, he lives in Caesarea, about 50, 60, 70 miles away on the seacoast, he comes into town for that week just to be there to make sure nothing goes wrong. He doesn't want a, a riot on his resume. And so he's there at 6 o'clock in the morning. Now, the Roman governors would typically start their day at sunup. They would actually start hearing cases. They'd hear them just throughout the morning, then take the afternoon off. And so he's there, he's open for business. They come and they bring a man, Passover week, riot guard on, very difficult, you know, very uh, kind of high alert time. They, they bring this, uh, this man in and the claim is treason. The claim is that he's leading an insurrection. So this would get Pilate's attention. And, and so they, they come, here's the, uh, the charge. And so it says, but to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the Jews did not enter the palace. Now, uh, it's Passover week. Passover followed by a week of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, High Holy Days. If a Jew goes in the house of a Gentile, he becomes unclean, unable to participate. I'm sure this ticks the Roman governor off when his subjects come and say, sorry, we can't come in, you're dirty. Uh, but anyway, he understands, he's dealt with these people, he's been in Pilate at this point, he's been in power about four years, he's been, he's been put in position by Tiberius Caesar, he's a rough ruler, he's a tough ruler, but he's learned how to kind of put up with some of their religious idiosyncrasies. And so he goes along with this, and so what you're going to see in this passage is the whole passage, Pilate's going to go out and talk to them, then he's going back in the house, talk to Jesus, then he go back, he's going to be going back and forth. And so anyway, in verse 29, so Pilate comes out to meet them, and he asks them, what are the charges you're bringing against this man? They're bringing him for a trial. And he says, what are the charges? And they said, well, if you were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over, kind of sidestepping his question. And Pilate says, well, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. Uh, you have your own courts uh, in Israel. You can, you can take care of this. And they said, yeah, but we have no right to execute anyone. So they're, what they're telling him, this is a capital crime he's being accused of. And so John puts an editorial sidebar in here. He says, this happened so that the words Jesus had spoken, indicating the kind of death he was going to die, would be fulfilled. Now remember, throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus has often said he's going to be killed. But remember how he puts it. He says, I will be, do you remember what he says? Good class. Uh, I realize it's all your first time, so don't feel bad. Uh, no, no, just kidding. <laughs> Uh, remember, he said he would be lifted up. Remember that several times the Son of Man will be lifted up. And so what John is saying is that um, the Jews, even when they were allowed to execute, they didn't lift up. They, they stoned people. So the only people who lift up to execute are Romans, and only in the rarest of cases are you crucified. You have to be a foreigner. It's got to be a high crime treason, like uh, a crime like treason. So Jesus has been predicting all along, interestingly, that it's not the Jews who will actually perform the killing. It is the Romans. And that's what John wants to catch. And so, in verse 33, so Pilate then went back into the palace, and he summons Jesus, and he says, are you the king of the Jews? I mean, this is the claim. They're, they're claiming treason. Is that true? He begins to interrogate the prisoner. And so Jesus says, is that your idea, or did others talk to you about me? Like, where did you come up with this idea? And, and Pilate says, listen, am I a Jew? Like, I don't even live here in this crazy town. Uh, it was your own people 
and your own chief priests who handed me over to you. Like, what, what is it you've done? So, so they've made this claim that he's a king leading insurrection. They obviously don't have much evidence. So he comes in now to interrogate the prisoner. He's like, this doesn't even make sense. Are you a king? Like, your own people. Imagine in Nazi Germany. Nazi Germany takes over one of the countries around them, occupies them. And now the leaders of that country turn in one of their own countrymen. Like, that doesn't make sense. And so he's, he smells a rat. Like, something is not right here. And uh, so he says, what is it you've done? You know, are you a king? Is that true? And so Jesus says, 36, well, my kingdom is not of this world. And in other words, uh, no, I'm not leading an insurrection. If you want to know if I'm a king, am I leading an insurrection? Uh, I, no, the answer is no. My kingdom is not of this world. It's not that kind of kingdom. Um, he said, if it were, uh, my, soul, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. There'd be blood in the streets right now. I would have just surrendered. Uh, but, but my kingdom is from another place. But Jesus is still using kingdom language. And Caesar, I mean, and uh, Pilate can't, can't allow that. Uh, you're still calling yourself a king by nature. That's a threat to Rome. Like, what do you mean? And so he says, you are a king then? Uh, come exploring. And Jesus said, you're right in saying, I'm a king. Yes, I'm a king. But in fact, for this reason, I was born. For this reason, I came into the world to testify to the truth. He said, am I a king? Yes, I'm a king. But it's a different kind of kingdom. I'm like, I'm the king of truth. And everyone on the side of truth like everyone who knows the truth listens to me. It's how you can tell how smart you are. It's how you respond to me. So, now remember, it's six o'clock in the morning. Pilate hasn't even had his Starbucks yet. <laughs> He's come in with his serious charge of treason. It's Passover. Roman troops on high alert. He's taking this seriously. And this guy wants to talk about truth and have a philosophical discussion? He's like, whatever. What is truth? Whatever. And so with this, he goes out to the Jews again. And he says, look, I find no basis for a charge against him. You brought him here. You've, you've charged him with leading insurrection. There is no evidence for that. Uh, I don't think so. But, but Pilate's kind of between a rock and a hard place. Because remember, he doesn't want a riot. And so you've got these Jewish leaders saying, hey, he's a bad guy, and he's against Caesar. And, and so now he doesn't think he is, and he's trying to figure out, how do you maneuver this situation, keep the peace? So he's kind of picked up by this point. And you can pick this up from the other Gospels, too. He's picked up by this point. The reason that they've turned him in, he's not leading a rebellion. It's, there's a personal jealousy going on. They, they've got it out for him. They've kind of figured that out. He's figured it out. And so there's this, there's this uh, custom they have. Every year at Passover, the Roman governor would kind of free one political prisoner as sort of a concession, a blessing, kind of help keep the peace during this time. And so he comes up with this idea, I know what, I'll, I'll go out and, and I'll release Jesus as king of the Jews. I think the crowd likes him. And so the crowd will be excited and I'll just kind of do an end run around these, these religious leaders. So he goes out, but he doesn't know is that while he's been in talking to Jesus, they've been, the leaders have been inciting the crowd. And we know this from the other gospel accounts. And so when he comes out, when he comes out to them, um, 
he says, uh, verse 39, but it's your custom to release, for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? And he's expecting the crowd to go, yay, let him go. But they shouted back because they've been incited, no, not him, give us Barabbas. Well, Barabbas is a terrorist. Barabbas is a freedom fighter. This would be like, think of the Middle East today, the, the ongoing warfare between the Palestinians and the Israelis. And, and this would be like saying, hey, I'll give you this guy, you know, who's been accused and going to Israeli court. And they're like, no, 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 we want this guy that was, he was part of an insurrection. He was part of a bombing. What's well, the last thing that Pilate wants to do is release a terrorist. But he has been outmaneuvered by these religious leaders. And so he's stuck now. And next week we'll see he's going to go to plan B in this chess game that's going on between Pilate and the religious leaders. But here's what I want to do today. I want to stop here today and I want to take a look at this fascinating interchange. I think it's one of the most fascinating conversations in all the life of Jesus with this pagan, secular, Roman ruler. Stop and think with me. That in the life of Jesus, almost without exception, Jesus' teaching is always directed towards Jewish people. People that have a long history of God revealing himself through his word. Moses, the prophets, they know who God is. They know who the true God is. They have his word. They're expecting a Messiah. All of Jesus' teaching, we often miss this, is within the context of Jewish uh, expectation. But now, Jesus is standing before a pagan, Roman, secular, Gentile ruler. And in essence, what that ruler is asking is, who are you and why are you here? And Jesus is going to frame his answer in a very fascinating way that I think has tremendous implications for us as Christ followers. And so there in your note sheet, you have a section called Jesus, the King of Truth. And I want to go back to this interchange with Pilate and Jesus. And look especially at verse 37. So here we go. Verse 37, he says, you are a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus said, you are right in saying I am a king. I am a king. In fact, for this reason, I was born. And for this reason, I came into the world. Now catch this. Roman leader, not looking for Messiah, not looking for anything. So how he's going to communicate to him why he's come in terms that he can understand. And so for this Roman leader, he says, you want to know why I've come to planet Earth? You want to know why I was born, what my destiny is? And it's fascinating because if we didn't have this verse, and you said, what do you think he's going to say? I, I don't have a clue. I, you know, if you just kind of gave me, gave this, here's a, here's a, a suppositional proposed situation, what do you think he would say? Honest, I would not know. I'm not sure I would have guessed this at all. But look what he says. He says, I've come to testify, catch that legal language, I've come to take the witness stand for the human race. I'm the, the God who was, I, I, I'm the word who is with God and was God. I've come into the human race to take the witness stand, legal language, and to testify to what? The truth. What does Jesus say? Why have I come to planet earth? There in your note sheet, there's a blank. Here's his message. Jesus came very simply to tell us the truth. When Jesus is standing before this pagan Roman ruler, he says, here's why I've come. I've come here to tell you the truth. 
Now, the question is, well, truth about what? Well, the truth we've been seeing all through John, the truth about who God is, the truth about who we are, the truth about our relationship with God and how it works, the truth about life and how life is meant to be lived. Jesus sums it all because this is why I came to planet Earth. I came to tell you the truth. Now, very interesting because if you stop and think about it, this is what we've seen Jesus say over and over throughout the Gospel of John. Like, let's rewind for just a minute. Let's go back to chapter 1. Remember how chapter 1 started? Chapter 1, the Apostle John is starting with his opening statement of his court case to make his case that Jesus is the Word made flesh. And, and if we summarize, remember what we learned? He says, that, here's the message, that there's a time and a place when the God who created all time and space entered into his creation, became a part of the human race, to reveal to us who God is so that we might live. That's the message, right? Now, look at 114. In the midst of that opening statement, here's what he says. It's there in your note sheet. These verses are all there. So here's how John puts it. He says, the word became flesh. Remember the word that was with God, the word that was God. The word became flesh. He became part of his creation. He became a human being. And he made his dwelling amongst us. He moved into our human neighborhood. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay? So he came to reveal. He came to tell us the truth. John's been saying that from the very beginning. Look at the next passage. John chapter 4. Jesus is talking to the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well. She's asking some questions about who God is. How do we worship him? How do we relate to him? And here's what Jesus says. A time is coming and has now come. In other words, a new era of the human race through Jesus. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Okay? This is a new era of the human race where through the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to come to know God as he really is. You're going to know him in spirit. You're going to know him in truth. And he says, these are the kinds of worshipers the Father seeks. He's looking for people who want to know the truth about him. Then in John 14, you remember famous, this was earlier the same evening. He's arrested. He tells his men, I'm going away. I'm leaving, but you know the place where I'm going to. And I'm coming back to get you once I leave. I'll come back. And, and one of his men says, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus makes this famous statement. I am the way and I am the truth. Now catch this. He does not say, I'm telling you the truth. He says, I am the truth. I am the source of all truth. I am the word made flesh, the God who's come to creation. I am the source of all truth. What kind of truth? Truth about our relationship with God? Yes. Truth about who God is? Yes. Mathematical truth? Yes. Truth about nanotechnology? Yes. Truth about economics? Yes. What do you want to know? I am the source of all truth, and there is no truth outside of me. You see? And so now he's standing before this Roman ruler with no Jewish context, no Old Testament prophecies, no teaching about Moses, no prophets, no teaching about the law, no zilch about God, pagan ruler. And he says, tell me who you are and why you've come. He says, I'll tell you why. I came to tell you the truth because I am the king of truth. You see? It's awesome. Isn't that awesome? Now, here's what I want to do. We're coming towards the end of this series. Uh, we only have three more lessons, three more messages after this week. 
And what I want to do, I thought this would be helpful, so let's step back and let's talk about this. What are some of these truths that Jesus came to tell the human race? Truths that can change your life. And of course, we could talk about five of them. We could talk about 10 of them. We could talk about 15 of them. But I know some of you are looking forward to your afternoon nap. And so I've limited, <laughs> I've limited it to five, okay? We're going to do five. And I've chosen five, I think, of the most significant truths. We're just going to quickly review them. Like, what is the truth Jesus came to tell us, the human race? Okay, number one. The first, let's talk about what he talked about salvation, the truth about salvation. <clears throat> let's think about this. Jesus comes to tell us the truth about who God is and who we are and how to have a relationship. He says, here's the truth. There is a God. He loves you. And he has come away to make a way for you to come home. And it's supernatural. Your relationship with God is a, has to be a supernatural thing from beginning to end. In fact, he says it's kind of like being born again. It's almost like, like a brand new start. And he says what has to happen is the Holy Spirit has to come into your life. He's got to change you from the inside out. He's got to open your eyes to spiritual truth. He's going to download the DNA of Jesus into your life. And it's going to be a whole new life. And this is all going to be made possible through my death and resurrection. As, as, the, as Moses raised up the serpent in the wilderness, so I will be lifted up that this new life can come forth. And so he lays this out. Um, and he's, and he's having this conversation with a spiritual leader. And basically he's telling him, it doesn't, your relationship with God, I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done, good or bad. If you want a relationship with God, it's supernatural. You know, last night we baptized a man. And he gave his story here as we baptized him. He said, six months ago, I've, been, I've, I've kind of been far from God my whole life. But six months ago, someone gave me a Bible. And frankly, before that time, I tried to read the Bible. It's like foreign language means nothing. But for whatever reason, I just open it up, I start reading. It all makes sense. It's like someone opened my eyes. And I've come to Christ here from the last six months. Well, what's happened? Supernaturally, God's come into his life, opened his eyes, started the journey. You see, it's a supernatural thing. So let's see how Jesus says it. He says, um, there in your note sheet, John 3, I tell you the, what? Okay, I tell you the truth. Do you know that 26 times in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. You know, in the Greek, the language underneath this goes like this. Tr literally, it says, truly, truly. In the Greek, it says, amen, amen. Like we say amen at the end of prayers. So, so when Jesus wanted to say something really important, often he would use this formula. He would say amen, amen. And when Jesus says amen, amen, it's time to sit up, pay attention. Some, he, he's about to tell us something the human race needs to understand. He's coming to truth. And so in this case, he says amen, amen. No what? No exceptions can see the kingdom of God, be a part of what God's doing, be part of his movement, come into relationship with God. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Something has to happen to you. I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the spirit. It's a supernatural thing, all right? So, so Jesus comes, he's like, come to tell you the truth about, about God, that you can have a relationship. He loves you, he wants you. I'm gonna die to make it possible, but it's supernatural from beginning to end. I don't care what your history is, what you've done, where you've been, how religious you are, doesn't make any difference. Something has to happen to you, okay? Second truth, second example, is the truth about the next life. Mm -hmm. Real life, amen. Uh, the next life. Uh, 
one of the biggest questions of the, of, the, of the human race has always been what happens when you die? I mean, let's face it, we're all going to die. And so what happens next? Like, is there a next life? And if so, what is it like? Is it real? Is it physical? Is it tangible? Are we like spirits floating around? We're like shades in the underworld, like in Greek mythology. Like, what happens when you die? Is there a next life? And if there is one, what's it like? And what does it take to get there? And if there's good and if there's bad, how do you get on the good side? And so this has been a perennial question of the human race for thousands of years. And Jesus comes, he says, I've come to tell you the truth. There is a next life. It is real. It is physical. It is tangible. It's more amazing than anything you've ever seen here. This life is just the start of real life. And this life, the next life, depends on your relationship with me in this life. So you can't wait there to figure out what to do. You have to start it here. And so here he goes. Here's an example. John chapter 5. I tell you the I tell you the truth. Amen, amen. Sit up, pay attention. Whoever hears my word, my teaching, and believes him who sent me, they have eternal life. Right here, right now. You don't have to wait. And they will not be condemned. When you stand before God at the final judgment, you will not be condemned. He's already crossed over from death to life. Like you don't have to wait to get there to figure out if you're in or out. You figure it out now. And it's through a relationship with him. And he says, do not be amazed at this. He's going to tell us what's coming now. For a time is coming when all who are in the graves, every human being who's ever lived, will hear his voice, and they're going to come out. New bodies. The future is real. The future is tangible. The future is physical. It is not ethereal. You're not floating shades. You're not floating spirits. It's real. The next life is real. It's physical. It's tangible. It's more real and physical and tangible. And it's like, if you think this world's beautiful, you have not seen anything yet, and it's amazing. But he says, those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. So he says, so the time you make that decision is now. He says, this life is all about the next life. Uh, this life is the lobby into eternity. And so in all the teaching of Jesus over and over again, he says, you better get ready. You need to start living now in light of that life. You see? And so it's a second truth he's come to tell us. The next life is real. Number three, a third example of truth that we've seen is a truth about the Holy Spirit. Earlier in this same evening, he's arrested. He spent a lot of time talking with his men about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Here's what he says. He says, I'm leaving planet Earth, but I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm going to send a replacement to come into your life, be your teacher, your leader, your mentor. His name is the Holy Spirit. He's the spirit of truth. He will lead you into all truth. He'll come alongside of you. He'll bring the presence of my Father, and my presence will come and move into your life. will transform you, will change you from the inside out, and will lead you every step of the way. Here's how he puts it. John 14, 15 through 17. If you love me, you'll obey what I command. That's the condition, he says, of receiving the Spirit. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor, mentor, leader, to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. And uh, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and he will be in you. The Holy Spirit will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you 
A couple chapters later in John 17, he said, he will, I've uh, got much more to say to you, but when he comes, he will guide you into all truth. Okay? So let's kind of review. What have we learned? What did, what did Jesus come to tell us? Hey, it's possible to have a relationship with God. Here's how it works. He came to tell us the next life is real. It's more real than this life. If you need to get ready, it's through a relationship with me. What did he tell us next? The Holy Spirit is real. Between the time when you're born again and you come to me and the time where you go to meet with Jesus, during this interim, my spirit will be there to empower you and lead you every step of the way. Okay? Fourth truth. Fourth truth is about spiritual warfare. So the fourth truth that Jesus says is that one of the big questions of the human race has always been, is there a dark side? Throughout human history, a lot of speculation in most parts of the world, the answer is in. Yes, it is. Most parts of the world have uh, hundreds of thousands of years of experience with it. Yes, it's in. And so Jesus comes and says, let me tell you, there is a dark side. In fact, there is a very real enemy. And let me tell you, he's out to destroy your life. And the primary way he does it is through deception. And so there in your note sheet, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders who are out to kill him. Now catch this. We often think of religious leaders or religion as being on the good side. Jesus is here saying, no, it's on the dark side. Remember who killed Jesus. It was religion, right? Religion is counterfeit relationship. See, Jesus came to give us relationship. Religion is counterfeit relationship. And so he says to these religious leaders, he says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. Sometimes you want to kill me. He was a murderer from the beginning, going back to the Garden of Eden. You know, first parents, if you eat this, you will die. He's trying to get them to die. Why? Because he just hates them. He's not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so Jesus says, I am the king of truth. He is the king of lies. So he says, this is how it works. Number one, he hates you with a hatred you cannot even begin to fathom. You you take the worst sociopath of human history, and the hatred he has and the delight he has in destroying. And guess where he got that? He got that from the source. There is one who hates the human race because we reflect the image of God and he hates God with everything in his being. And because of that, he is out to destroy anyone who shares that image. And he is out to destroy your life. He hates you. And Jesus says, and here's how he does it. He's been working this way since the very beginning. He does it through deception. You remember back in the garden. In the garden, Satan comes and he says, hey, I know God said don't do this, but that's not the truth. He's not looking out for you. His rules are trying to restrict you. He's trying to hold you down. He's trying to hold you back. If you want life, if you want life as it's meant to be lived, you have to strike out on your own. You have to do your own thing. You need to blow him off. That is true freedom. And Jesus says that is a lie. He's trying to destroy you. And if you stop and think about it, that is the core of every temptation in our life. If you do this, you will be happy. And you know what? It's often true in the short run. It's kind of like the trout who takes the bite. The bait tastes great on the first chomp. Then he's a goner, right? 
So Jesus says, you want to know if there's a dark side? I've come to tell you, there's a dark side. You're in a spiritual war. There's someone who's out to destroy you. The way he's going to do it is through deception and getting you to distrust God's love and trust for your lo- his teaching in your life. And then number five. The fifth area is what I would call fulfillment. One of the deepest questions of the human race. What's it take to be happy? I mean, every day on Oprah, right? This is the theme. What's it take? <laughs> What's it take to be happy? What's the path to fulfillment? How can I be personally fulfilled? You know, what's the secret of life? I want significance. I want purpose. I want meaning. Satan comes and says, you get it through disobedience. Jesus says, no, no, no. I have come to give you this life and life to the full. In fact, there you know, she uses the exact same words. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That would be a good description of Satan, by the way. He says, I have come that they might have life and you might have it to the full, to the fullest experience. And Jesus goes on to say, that's why I brought you my teaching. My teaching will lead you to life at the fullest. In fact, in the next statement he makes, he says to some new followers, he says, if you hold to my teaching, in other words, you hold on to it, you follow it, you are really my disciples. The only way we know whether we're true disciples if we're following. And he says, and then you will know the what? You'll know the truth then. And then the truth will set you free. So catch this. Jesus says, okay, you're following me now. Here's my teaching. If you hold on to my teaching, you follow my teaching, the next step is lights are going to start going on for you, and you'll know the truth. And then what happens is once the truth dawns on you, you will be set free. You want the path to fulfillment? You follow me. You follow my teaching. Now, there's just five examples of what we've learned in John. We could go on and on, 10, 15. But... I mean, not till 10.15, it's already past 10.15, but 10 to 15 examples. Um, Anyway, the point is, we could go on and on. We could talk about prayer, we could talk about relationships, we could talk about love, we could talk about service, we could talk about so many things. But these are some five basic teachings. He came to tell the human race that any one of, you believe any one of these, it will change your life forever. Pick one, any one, Okay. And so the interesting, here's Jesus, he's standing before this Roman, Gentile, secular, pagan leader, and he says, who are you and why have you come? He says, I've come to tell the human race the truth. That's why I've come. Now, here's a question for you. There in the back of your note sheet, I have one question. And it's a big question, and here's a question for you, and I think you're going you're to be quick to jump to answer this question, but don't do that. Just write it down. Here's the question, who's the king of truth in your life? Is Jesus the king of truth in your life? Like, like let's, let's drill down a little bit. How do you decide in your life what's true? How do you decide what to believe about God, about your relationship with God, about your relationships, about how to do relationships, about marriage, about parenting, about your sexuality, about your finances, about your priorities. Like when you're making your decisions of what you believe, who is the king of truth in your life? How do you decide that? Um, Is it your parents? I don't care how old you are, often we still hear the voice of our parents telling us what's true in life, whether it's true or not. Is it, is it a brother or a sister, an older brother or sister? Um, is it the guys you work with on the job? Is it 
the recent magazine you subscribe to? Is it the afternoon talk shows in Oprah? Is it uh, what you were taught in the Bible when you were young? Is it the church you were raised in? Um, is it your college prof? Uh, is it popular opinion of the day? Is it a, a celebrity, what celebrities say? Like in your life, how do you decide what's true? Who's the king of truth in your life? Now here's what I want to suggest. I know we're in church. <laughs> so I think our natural tendency is just to lie and say, Jesus. Um, but before we do that, let me challenge you on that. Here's what I think. I think even as Christ followers, that for many of us, Jesus is the king of truth in certain areas of our life, but not so much in all areas of our life. You see, here's the fact. The, the fact is, you, you only know who the king of truth is when Jesus tells, something, tells you something that doesn't make any sense to you. Or when Jesus asks you to do something that's really hard or really going to pay a price. It's at those moments in life we find out who's the king of truth in our life. You see, if the only time we listen to Jesus is when he happens to agree with us already, Good job, Jesus. You got that one right. He's not really the king of truth. We're the king of truth. He just happens to agree with us. You see, we don't really know if he's the king of truth until he tells us something that doesn't make any sense. And then we say, it doesn't make any sense to me, but you're the king of truth. I bow the knee. I think you're smarter than I am. That's when we find out that he's the king of truth. Let me get... Uh, let me get even pra more practical. Uh, in, this, in this room here, we've got at least a couple, time, couple kinds of people. We have two kinds of people. There's some of us who've given our life to Jesus, and we've said, oh, we think you're the king of truth. We, we want to commit to you. We've received your gift of life and so on. There's some of us here, you've not made that decision yet. For whatever reason, you've never made the decision to follow Christ in your life, to, to become a Christ follower. And so let me give you an example. You're here today, and Jesus makes this claim, I know God, I am God, I've come to tell you the truth about God. Here's the truth, I don't care where you've come from or how you've screwed up, I don't care if you're religious or not, uh, I came to die for you, I want a relationship with you, it's not based on anything you've done, it's based on what I've done on the cross, but it's a supernatural thing, you can't make it happen. If you ask me, I will come into your life and it will happen, but it's supernatural. Now the question is, do you believe him? Is he the king of truth? Or are you going to say, well, I'm not so sure about that. I'm not sure you're the king of truth. I think all religions are kind of true. I think there's different paths. Or maybe you say on the other side, man, I would love to believe that, Jesus, but you don't know what I've done. If you know about the promiscuity, if you knew about the abortions, if you knew about the murder, if you knew about the betrayal, if you knew about the lying, if you knew about the cheating, if you knew, if you know all that I've done, you wouldn't be saying that. I know you're saying that this is what it is, but I don't believe you. I think I'm too bad for you. Who's the king of truth? Is Jesus smarter or are you smarter? You see? We, we have to decide this. Now, for us as Christ followers, let's think this through. You're a follower of Jesus. Is he the king of truth? Like I said, you don't know until he asks you to do something hard. 
And you have to decide, do you trust him or not? Do you trust he loves you, knows you, and is smarter than you? Like, let me give you some specific examples. I want to meddle a little bit. I think my doctorate gives me the right. No. Just kidding. Just kidding. You become a Christ follower. You give your life to Jesus. And he comes and talks to you. He says, hey, I know there's this person that's hurt you really badly. Maybe it's an ex-spouse. Maybe it's a, an old boyfriend, old girlfriend. Maybe it's a friend who betrayed you. Maybe it's your parents who abused you, whatever. He says, I, I know they've really hurt you, and I know you hate them, and I know you've said that you will never forgive them. But, but I want to change you from the inside out. I want to give you the power to let go of the past because you'll never move into your future while you're holding on the past. I want to teach you how to forgive them. I want to teach you how to love them. But you need to get, give me the okay. You need to submit, you, surrender. Oh, who's the king of truth in your life? Give you another example. You come to Jesus and he says, listen, I know you've been really promiscuous in the past. Before you've come to me, you slept around with some, so many people that sometimes you don't even know, you can't remember their names. And, and that's okay because that's all past and I died to pay the price for that and so we're all good. But you're my follower now and so your body belongs to me and I live inside of you and your body is now my body and, and so what you do with your body is really important. And, and by the way, don't forget that that I made up this whole thing called sexuality. I was a creator. I spent a lot of time on those circuits. You know, it's like, that's why they work so good. Man. That's why they fire. That's why uh, it's just it's powerful. You know, it's only heroines as good as that. And so this is scientifically proven that I know what I'm doing here. And so, but trust me, this has the power to bond you to someone else. You don't want to be doing that. You're going to be tearing your life apart. If you start bonding to other people and ripping off, it's going to rip off your circuits, emotional circuits, and you're never going to be able to bond to your husband or wife. And so, so I need you to trust me in this. So from now on, you can sleep, you can have as much sex as you want, but only with your husband or wife. Okay. Will you trust me? Oh, who's the king of truth in your life, in your sexuality? Jesus comes and says, hey, listen, uh, you're my follower now. And that means everything that you have belongs to me, including your, your resources, your financial resources. And so I'm going to lead you in this amazing adventure of financial management. And it's going to be awesome. And I, I'm going to give you resources. And I'm going to trust you to disperse those resources. And I'm going to teach you how to be a steward and a manager under my, leader, under my leadership. And, and so I want you to give generously. I want you to give to my kingdom. I want you to give to the poor. I will lead you. I will direct you. But all you have is mine. And so here's what I'm telling you. I'm, I'm telling you it's better to give than to receive. Trust me. I, I'll, I'll tell you this. Give and it will be given to you. I'll tell you this. Lay up treasures in heaven because you're going to be really glad someday you, you did. Now, will you trust me with your finances? Ooh. Who's the king of truth? So we're so quick to say, aren't we? Jesus comes and says, listen, I, I know you've been taught your whole life. You need to look out for number one. If you want to be truly happy in life, it's you put yourself first. I'm going to tell you to put yourself uh, last. I'm going to tell you to put the needs of others above yourself. I'm going to tell you to pick up your towel and wash feet like I did. In fact, I'm going to gift you with supernatural abilities to advance my kingdom and make a difference for me. And I'm going to ask you to use these gifts, make it a priority that you serve as I served. Who's the king of truth? You see? You see, it's not so easy, is it? 
Who's the king of truth in your life? And here's what I'm saying. We don't really know who the king of truth is until Jesus comes and tells us something that doesn't make sense, that is hard, or something that's truly going to cost us. And at those times, we find out whether he's the king of truth in our life or not. Make no mistake, the success of your life hangs in the balance. Because what Jesus said is you can tell how smart a person is by how, how they respond to my teaching. That's what he was saying. He said, he who hears my voice comes and follows me. That's what he said to Pilate. What's he saying? He's saying the smarter you are, the more obvious it is that I'm telling you the truth. And he says, and everything lies in the balance. Now, see, so standing before Pilate, and Pilate is judging Jesus on whether Jesus is telling the truth. But what Jesus is telling him is, Pilate, I know you're trying to judge me on the truth, but what I'm telling you is the way you respond to me is I'm judging you and how smart you are. And it's what he says to every one of us. Every one of us has to stand before Jesus like Pilate and listen to his claims, and then we have to decide, are we smarter than him or is he smarter than us? And the decision you make will change your life forever because what Jesus says is I've come to tell you the truth and the truth will set you, what? Free. Free. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful that you've come to tell us the truth. Um, I can't imagine what it would be like to do life without that. Lord, it would be dark. It would just be opinions. It would just be this person says, that person says. We would not know the truth except that you've come and you've told us the truth. The truth about our relationship with you. The truth about the next life. The truth about your spirit. The truth about spiritual warfare. The truth about the path to fulfillment. And so, God, we want to embrace that. We want to embrace that individually. We want to embrace that as a church. If you're here today and you've not given your life to Jesus, you can do that. You can tell him in the quietness of your heart, even now you want to follow him. And you can give him your life and you can start that journey. If you're here today and you're a Christ follower, and some of these examples were hitting too close to home, or maybe it's another area. Maybe there's an area of your life you've been acting like you're smarter than Jesus. So in this one, Jesus, I got it covered. Maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's a relational issue. Maybe it's your sexuality, maybe it's your money, maybe it's your priorities, maybe it's your time, maybe it's your service, but there's an area of your life you've been saying, I've got this one covered, Jesus. I think I'm smarter in this area. And what a great time today, in the quietness of this moment, just to put Jesus back on the throne and say, you are the king. And I may not understand it, and it may be hard, but I think you're smarter than I am. So I bow the knee, I worship you as the king of truth. You will be the ultimate authority. And you speak and I will follow whether I understand or not because deep down I've come to believe you are smarter and you're looking out for me. We pray, Lord, that you'd hardwire that into our congregation. You'd hardwire that into our hearts. That you would truly be the king of truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have a tremendous privilege today. I've, I mentioned at the top of the service that this weekend we have 27 people in our church, who are saying, I want to follow Jesus. I believe he's the king of truth. And we've uh, already baptized, I think it's about 19 of them. I think we have about eight, seven or eight left. And uh, right now, we're going to go into a time of worship. It's a time of surrender. I want to encourage you, 
if there's an area of your life where Jesus has not been the king of truth, this is a great song, great time of worship to surrender that. During this song, I'm going to invite those who are uh, affirming Jesus as their Lord today that they would come forward here and stand over by the baptismal tank. And, uh, and I'll, I'll get ready and we'll be ready to go in a couple minutes. So let's stand in worship. Make it your prayer to him.